This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Justin, we have a podcast. Diving, diving deep, deep, diving deep into all things Texas, both on and off the field. Here's Sean Pendergast and Pro Football Hall of Famer, the General John McClain. Welcome, welcome to Utopia. Hey, everybody, welcome in. It's the Utopia Football Podcast. The season just keeps on going, and now we know who the Texans are going to be playing. In the next round of the playoffs, there are eight teams left standing. The Houston Texans are one of them. Life is good. Welcome in, everybody. I'm Sean Pendergast, one half of Payne and Pendergast, Sports Radio 610, 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. each day, Monday through Friday, joined, as always, by my good friend, the Hall of Famer, and uh, our senior columnist at SportsRadio610.com, John McClain. John, happy uh, divisional round week to you, and I know you're busy. you got Hall of Fame stuff going on this week, so this is... Between playoffs, the Texans actually being in the playoffs, and Hall of Fame, this is a busy season for you right now. Such a fun week, uh, them getting ready to go back to Baltimore where they – it was 7-6, you know, at halftime in that first game. The Ravens pulled away in the third quarter. I believe the Texans, depending on Robert Woods, I guess he'll start. So I think that means they'll have six different starters uh, in that game than they had in the first game. And, you know, Todd Monken was in his first game as – Ravens offensive coordinator, and then, of course, the Texans. Everything was new, and I expect you know, it's going to be a much better game. It's going to be cold, but doesn't look like there's going to be any snow or rain. So everybody is fired up to see what the Texans can do next. Yeah, well, and we got this cold weather here this week, John. It's almost like, uh, you know, the Texans, between C.J. Stroud and D'Amico Ryans, two very God-fearing men, it feels like God has smiled upon them by giving us 30-degree weather here for them to prepare for 25-degree weather in Baltimore this week. D'Amico said yesterday, we're going to be practicing outside. Get get us ready for the cold weather. Thank you, Lord. I added in the thank you, Lord, but I'm sure in his mind D'Amico is saying that. The uh, temperature is supposed to be somewhere around 27 or 28 and partly cloudy, which means it could be cloudy or it could be, could be sunny. The key is the stadium's right on the harbor. And sometimes in the winter, you get more wind than you do when the weather's good. And, of course, if you get more wind, you're going to have to run the ball more. But right now, if the Texans lose, it's like this last game. Had they lost to Cleveland, still would have been a great season. People would have been pumped about next year. But now that they've won, people want to see if they can get past the divisional round for the first time in team history. Did you uh, – you've seen the spread, I'm sure, John. The Texans are oh, nine-and-a-half-point yeah. underdogs. Do you, does that sound right to you, nine-and-a-half, or does that feel a little high to you? I thought it would be – I think you tweeted seven-and-a-half, something, a touchdown. Yeah. And um, and because the Texans are a much better team. Now, the coldest they've played in this year is 48 degrees at Tennessee. 
and they beat the Titans on that Kaimi Fairbairn 54-yard field goal with no time left. Even in the Jets game where they were awful, it was 58 degrees. Mm-hmm. So they'll be playing in cold weather for the first time. And But they Stroud's been so good, and the defense is playing better. Um, I think they'll play a lot better. And if they win, it won't surprise me. But if they lose, you know, it certainly won't surprise me either. But I think I'm guessing there's going to be a lot of money bet on the Texans. Yeah, well, the line's already gone down to nine, at least where I look for stuff like this. And I jumped on it at nine. So I'm I'm in on the Texans getting more than a touchdown in this game. Obviously, most of that's based on the faith in C.J. Stroud um, that, that he can keep this game close. It's interesting, John, this cold weather theme here. I, I'm, I'm very anxious to see how they play, particularly C.J. in the cold weather. And I know he's played in cold weather before in college. But just in general with the AFC long term, you know, unless the Texans are going to go get the one or two seed every year, um, which they could be perfectly capable of doing when they continue to fortify this roster and, and so forth, um, they're really the Texans are really the only warm weather indoor team that's at that level right now in the in the AFC. You know, like I I know Miami's a warm weather team that made the playoffs. They're kind of fraudulent right now, and I don't think they know what they want to do at quarterback. The main teams in the AFC right now are Baltimore, Cincinnati when Joe Burrow is healthy, Buffalo, Kansas City. Those are – and those are probably the four quarterbacks plus CJ. Those are like the five best quarterbacks in the AFC right now. The AFC is in all likelihood for the next several years going to go through cold-weather cities. So this is, a this is you know, kind of, a, I think, a nice early test just to see if the weather's a factor at all for this team. I agree, and it shows that you can't be losing games with no time left against Atlanta and Carolina. Yes, yeah, they all count. No question about that, John. I thought, too, just circling back to Cleveland, because you and I, we've only done one podcast since the since the game ended, in thinking it through it and really getting to see how the last 48 hours, 72 hours, whatever it is, have played out since Saturday. Um, them getting a home game, obviously helped them win the game being at home. I thought it was really cool though for the team to, the, the team to kind of get the message from the fan base on the way into the offseason that no we're back now. Like we're back, we believe in you guys. We're loud again. Um maybe that's just cuz it was the playoffs. Who knows? I, I can't imagine this feeling wearing off um going into next season. If anything, the enthusiasm's only going to be amped up going into next season cuz there's going to be more moves to be made, you know, that are going to get people even more excited about this team and the potential of this team. I thought it was really cool, you know, as opposed to the last impression being at home, being the New Year's Eve game with Tennessee, which was fine. It was good, but it was more of a normal home game, late arriving crowd, so forth. Um, for them, for I, I thought for the team to kind of see like, no, this is how we feel about you guys now. And that the game was sold out. I thought there were way fewer Browns fans than I thought there would be. I think that's that that was kind of a, a a real cool opportunity. Thank you to the Tennessee Titans, John, for allowing the, the team to absorb that adulation in from the crowd, as opposed to just seeing it on social media and hearing about it while going on the road to play a wild card game. I believe it when I see it, because uh we have late arriving crowds, we have a lot of empty seats at games, you know, the Astros, they don't fill up right when the games. Something about fans there, they don't like to be in their seats, not not a lot of them. Don't like to be in their seats for the first pitch or the kickoff, which I just don't understand. Now I go 
I get there three hours early, but that's, but I'm different, but I just can't imagine paying your hard earned money and not being there for the whole game. And all the fans that came to this game, they got their money's worth. Hopefully that is a sign of what's to come next season when uh, we're going to see them a lot more in prime time than we have, uh, which was once. And uh, I, I'm, I'm glad the ESPN ABC think enough of them to put Troy Aikman and Joe Buck back on their broadcast for a second time. So everything is definitely looking up. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Uh, all right, John, you ready for a little uh, news and notes here? General news and notes. You, you got some good stuff for the people. Yeah, let me clear my throat there. Yeah, uh, I was say, yeah. Right? Uh, some of the things are about CJ and couple in the team. You know, we all know that he's now the youngest player to ever win a playoff game. He's twenty-two years, one or two days. The previous youngest was Michael Vick. I thought it was interesting that CJ grew up grew up in California. And he said young Vic was his favorite quarterback when he was growing up. There was a mm-hmm. lot of quarterbacks to pick from, but I thought that was interesting. That's why he wears well, seven, John. That's why he wears number seven. Yeah. It's, uh, I think it's weird because CJ's nothing like Vic. You know, he doesn't run. Vic's the best running quarterback I've ever seen. He said one time, I was a running back who had the best arm, so he gave me the football and told me to play play quarterback when he was young Mm -hmm. and it worked out quite well on the field. And I thought it was also interesting that he and D'Amico Ryan's first rookie coach quarterback combo to win a playoff game since 2009 when Rex Ryan and the butt fumbler, Mark Sanchez (laughs) did it. And uh, that outburst was the most points in Texans playoff history, which wasn't surprising. And, uh, it's the first time a team's had multiple pick sixes in a playoff game since Seattle did it in 2008. And another thing, Sean, it was really impressive about the outburst. I keep hearing people on TV saying, boy, Texans scored all these points against the Browns defense. Well, 14 were scored against the offense. Right. Still and, but still, it is the most points, and this is kind of weird, it's the most points a number one defense has allowed in playoff history. And and but that's kind of weird because they didn't allow the two touchdowns. And it was strange, Sean, when <laughs> that 157.2 rating, which is the most by rookie in NFL history, yeah. was tied a day later by Jordan Love in their upset of the Cowboys. Two young quarterbacks, 157.2. 
John, did you see Jordan Love's overall stats in the game? Like the not just, just like the, just like Strouds, they were identical. They, uh, they were two yards apart. Other than that, they were John. They were identical. They were both sixteen of twenty-one. Stroud threw for two seventy-four, and Love one of them threw for two seventy-four. The other two seventy-two or two sixty-two, whatever it was. They were two yards apart. Um, and then they both threw three touchdowns. Neither one threw a pick, and they both had a one fifty-seven point two rating which I thought was interesting because when I've watched Jordan Love this year in the second half of the season, the Packers have been on TV more, I think, the second half of the season. At least I've watched them more. And Jordan Love, his game, he's got a little bit of CJ. I think CJ's a little more polished as a passer, but they've got similar physiques. They've got a similar throwing motion. They even look similar facially to some degree. Um, and I, I've thought that about Jordan Love since watching him. And then for the two of them to put up identical stat lines and blow out upset wins – in the same weekend, I thought was really, really cool. And I think even if you go look at the, you know, like the play that really was like CJ's kind of signature in that, um, in the win over Cleveland was the pass to Dalton Schultz right before the half, you know, where he rolls out to the right, throws it back to the left, absolute dime. The play that kind of put the Cowboys away was almost the same play, just run in reverse, where Jordan Love's rolling to the left, throws it back over to Musgrave, to the right, who's way more open than Dalton Schultz was. I mean, Musgrave actually had to come back to the ball, turns around, runs into the end zone. It, it's really incredible how similar they both are. Now they're both quarterbacking the lowest seeded team in each of their conferences. And I think similarly, I, and they run this, they, they run in the same offense, you know, uh, with LaFleur and with Slowick. And I think they both probably, Stroud and Love, had the same sort of narrative following them this weekend, which is, yeah, these guys are the lowest seeded team, but you don't want to play them because their quarterbacks are hot right now. Jordan Love and C.J. Stroud are both playing really, really good football right now. Love kind of came out of nowhere because he it was the last nine games. I think he's been really good as far as touchdown interception differential. But as far as being great, it's only happened recently where Stroud has been building up to it. Stroud's gotten a lot of more – a lot more positive publicity. Oh yeah, for love sure. has, and I tell you something that I found strange: two hundred thirty-six yards passing in the first half by Stroud mm -hmm. before they called off the dogs. That is the most yards passing in the first half of a playoff game since nineteen seventy. Wow. That really, that really surprised me. And two more about other players. Laramie Tunsil, we all know, did a great job against Miles Garrett. Miles Garrett's been getting ripped in uh, Northeast Ohio. He had no sacks. And according to Next Generation's stats, he had only one pressure. You know, he had no hits, no knockdowns. He just, Tunsil did a number on him. And uh, that's one reason Laramie keeps getting the only awards anybody on this team gets. And the other one is Derek Stingley Jr. They were keeping him on side, so on his side, but they had him running with uh, Amari Cooper. And he covered Cooper on 35 of 42 snaps, and that's 83.3%. And he caught one pass for minus six yards out of being targeted three times. So Derek Stingley Jr., and Laramie Tunsil deserves special recognition for outstanding performances. And now I can't wait to see what they do with Stingley. Do they keep him on one side? Do they say cover Odell Beckham Jr., Zay Flowers? How is D'Amico Ryan's going to do it with strong input from Matt Burke?
Yeah, I, my, if I had to guess, he goes back to what he's been doing, John, because Cooper was so specific to have to shut down. I mean, you had a body of work from three weeks before that, so we got a—that's the head of the snake right there. I don't know if there—I don't know if one exists with Baltimore. There's just—it feels like there's way more capable weapons or threatening weapons on Baltimore's roster than there are on Cleveland's roster right now. But yeah, it, that'll be interesting to see how D'Amico handles that. Yeah, the the two big one-on-one star versus star matchups in that game. The Texans won going away. Laramie Tunsil dominated Miles Garrett when he was blocking him. And Derek Stingley Jr. might over the last month and a half might be the best cornerback in all of football. He's he's played that well. Well, he's voted AFC defensive player of the month last That's what I'm week. Saying, yeah. One more thing that I looked up because I've, I've been thinking about this, but especially after the wild card victory, in which Christian Harris played great. Blake Cashman's been the most consistent linebacker. But um, it reminds me of Fred Warner and Dre Greenlaw of the 49ers. Neither one was a high pick, and yet when D'Amico was coaching linebackers and he was coaching the defense, they developed two of the best, developed into two of the best in the NFL. And now Cashman's issue has always been health, but he's been healthy for the most part this season. And then Christian Harris, who really struggled early, especially with coverage, has come on. So can't wait to see next season if those two guys take that next step like Warner and Greenlaw have. Yeah, we'll see. Okay, they got to bring Cashman back, John. They got to sign him. He's he's a free agent after this year. They got a lot of guys. They're going Nick Casario's going to be really busy signing players because so many of them are one-year deals or their contracts expire. Yeah, that cap space is not going to go as far as people think in terms of bringing in reinforcements from the outside because so many of these guys have have outplayed their contracts. Either they're not coming back and you find the next group of guys to outplay their contracts or you feel good about the direction that this group is going and you bring a, a you know, the lion's share of them back at a, at a higher price. The good news is CJ's contract is still such for the next two years that you've got a lot of flexibility, <laughs> you know, like it's for two years and then he's going to be imagine? making 70, then he's going to be making 75 million a year in 2027 or whatever it is. And it'll be worth it. And his agent, David Mulligetta will say, okay, now that we've agreed to the terms, I want a no trade clause. And they'll say, Bleep you. You think? Do you think they'll say no to a no trade clause, John? After what happened with Watson, I damn sure do. Okay. Well, I hope I sure hope that that's uh that not a point of contention, John. I don't want to well, they can franchise him for three years and keep him yeah. around that way. Well, let's not talk about this. Let's not talk. Let's just <laughs> talk about CJ making six million this year or whatever the hell it is. <laughs> Oh, all right. Um, general news and notes, John. We appreciate that as always. I got a bunch of mailbag questions, John, that we're gonna we're gonna plow through here if you're ready to go. Now I'm always ready. I knew that. All right. So H O U mailbag at gmail.com. H O U mailbag at gmail.com. Let's start with our guy Chris in the in the ATL. The situation Casario was brought into with Easterby and the McNairs, the Watson saga, the coaching carousel, all of that while just trying to build a roster. He's done a tremendous job in my eyes, and I admit I thought he was the wrong hire to begin with. So the question, after my setup narrative, is Nick Casario the best GM the Texans have ever had? Well, let me think. They had Charlie Casually to start off, then Rick Smith, and Rick did a great job of drafting players in the first round. He won first two division titles, two playoff games. Uh, Nick Casario's been here three years. He's won one playoff game, but he was in charge of the rebuild. 
But I'm not going to say that because when Rick Smith was hired, they were coming off a 2-14 and 14 team, and, and Rick had longevity. You know, depending, and so right now this team hasn't been any farther than any than Rick Smith's teams. Now, of course, it's really hard to take Nick over Bill O'Brien, but um, right now I'd say it's still Rick Smith, but Nick Casario is coming hard. Well, I, John, I think Nick's probably two wins away from being able to say, yeah, he is. I mean, if they get to the <laughs> AFC title game, then, you know, it's checkmate. I mean, they, they, there's plenty of, Rick, plenty of Rick Smith architected teams that, that got knocked out uh, in the uh, well, three, to be exact. They got knocked out by the divisional round. Um, Derwin and Cypress, loyal podcast listener, says, how important is it that the Texans get to keep the same schedule over the last three weeks, meaning Saturday, Saturday, and now Saturday again, same sleep patterns, days off, et cetera, John. How, how big is that, do you think, for them that this is the third straight week where um, today, you and I are recording this on a Tuesday, third straight week where Tuesday is the first day of getting ready for the next game? You want the extra day to prepare, but I think when you get in the playoffs, it doesn't matter if you played on a Monday and you're playing the following Sunday. I don't think it matters. The players are so jacked up and excited, and so are the coaches. But if you do have the extra day, of course it might help. If it helps one injured player play the extra day of rest, then that is exactly what you want over the other teams that don't have that regular schedule. Yeah, I think they're kind of lucky, John. It doesn't sound like, other than Noah Brown, who went on injured reserve, who it felt like was just one tackle away from going on injured reserve, like he was so banged up. I give him credit for just getting out onto the field in that game on Saturday. But one pass to him, he lands on his shoulder, and now his shoulders hurt to go along with his hand, his back. Whatever. He had two or three other injuries. Like He was, he was awfully banged up. Um, it feels like they came out of that game, the, the Cleveland game, a, a pretty healthy team. I know Tunsil went into the tent at one point during the game, but he came back out and played into your point earlier and news and notes played well when he was back in there. You know, unlike some of these other games recently where it feels like there's been, they lose five guys at some point during the game. It seems like they came out relatively healthy in this game. It looked like Dunzel was twisting his kneecap when he was on one knee hurt after somebody ran into him. I think juice Scruggs fell on him. And the way he was messing with it, I thought, well, he's done for the year. And then he mm-hmm. came back and continued to shut down Miles Garrett. Yep, did a good job. All right, John, Wale in Virginia. What is the likelihood of keeping Derrick Henry in the division by bringing him to the Texans? He's got that one cut fitting for the zone running Coop Shanistani offense. John, would you kick tires on a on a uh, maybe an inexpensive, oft-used Derrick Henry this offseason if you were the Texans? Well, he showed in that one game that he ran the fourth fastest on the field when he got in the open field. But, And there was a story on him. This is why I haven't given up on Damian Pierce. I was in the athletic before their last game in which he said, I wish I'd been able to learn the zone scheme quicker and better. And I saw it, man, exactly what Damian Pierce is struggling with. So kick tires, maybe. There's no guarantees not going up there. If the new coach wants him back at a reasonable price, maybe they'll bring him back. But uh, he he's he's not – I don't think he's over the hill. I mean, Raheem Mustard's 32, and he scored yeah. 19 touchdowns, something like that for Miami. Yeah. Key is you just don't want him carrying the ball 25 times a game. So I would at least check it. Of course I would, especially if Devin Singletary leaves. Yeah. John, I mean, it's been a long time since we could say this, but I think there's going to be a lot of guys that want to come play for the Texans, especially on the offensive side of the ball. 
I, I agree with you, but still, you better put. You have to pay them. That sounds great. Yeah. But they're not going to take a discount to come here. Of course not. No, and I'm not saying that. I, but I think, I don't think Henry's going to be expensive. I think teams are going to be awfully scared by the amount of tread. You know, not amount of wear on the tread with him. I mean, multiple, multiple seasons where he's touching the ball 350 times. You know, and it looks like at times this year it had caught up to him. So, but that would be fun for sure, Wale. Um, all right, next one, John, from Lorenzo. I've had a question that's been burning in my mind for this whole season, and I know there's a lot of variables to this, but do either of you think that Bryce Young would have had a better season had he been picked at two by the Texans and what he's had in Carolina? I still prefer CJ 100%, but I can't help to think what could have been with him. It's hard to be worse than Bryce Young was in Carolina. Let's just put it that way. Like He definitely would have been better here than he would have in that cesspool. CJ would not have been as good as if he had played at Carolina because he didn't yep. have receivers. He didn't have he didn't have an offensive line. You know, their defense was pretty good. But I think if the roles were reversed, one would have been better and the other one would have been worse. But uh, and of course Panthers will say they're really happy with Bryce Young. But you know, every time CJ has a good game or it gets on the highlights with a great throw. David Tepper has regrets because there was a lot of talk over there that he's the one that wanted Bryce Young. It's funny, John. I actually went back last night while the Tampa Bay and Philadelphia game was on, and it was kind of really going through one of its boring phases. I had my laptop out with my AirPods in, so I was on YouTube, and I started – I watched some of the Bryce Young Carolina coverage right after he was drafted, you know, like the press conference after he was drafted, the press conference that Reich and Fitterer did the night of the draft, you know, the, when they met with the media. And it's just, it's a really wild thing to go back and watch now, considering Reich lasted 11 weeks and Fitterer's fired also. And I watched the, the war room shots of Bryce Young getting drafted, David Tepper calling him on the phone, Tepper and Fitterer hugging, the whole room going nuts about Bryce Young. It's a crazy thing to go back and watch now, now that you know that the thing ended in complete smoldering disaster in, in Carolina. It's a fascinating watch. I recommend it to anybody, John. If you want to feel good about the Texans by uh, participating in schadenfreude for the team that picked in front of them, go watch any of the Bryce Young coverage in Carolina from back during draft weekend. It's amazing. What they should be the happiest about with the Panthers is he played all but one game. And there was uh, all that yeah, worry, yeah. worry that because he was so frail – that he was going to get hurt, but he 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 played he played one more game than C.J. Stroud did. He did, he did, he did behind a bad offensive line too. Absolutely. Um, all right, Mark is in Austin, John. He said, "I've been a loyal, some might say, rabid Texans fan since the early 2000s when the McNairs were awarded the franchise, and I can't remember a time since 2011 that I've been this electrified about a team." So, Sean and John, the big question presented in your format for real or fugazi. The Houston Texans will win a Super Bowl this year. Gazy. They're not ready to win a Super Bowl. Wouldn't it be great if they played the 49ers in the Super Bowl in Vegas? It'd be phenomenal. Yeah. Nico and Slowick and all the storylines with that game, all the former Texans coaches in San Francisco, well, Santa Clara with Kyle Shanahan. It would just be, boy, like homecoming for all the people in the organizations and, uh, but uh, I'll tell you this, I said this when Sean Watson 
was at his peak. I thought they'd win Super Bowls with Watson. And I think based on what I've seen of Stroud, because it's all about the quarterback in the NFL. And then you got to be an astute GM to fill in around him. I think the Texans will win their first Super Bowl uh, with C.J. Stroud. And if they win Sunday, if they were to upset Baltimore, and I'm writing a column about this today, it'd be the first time Houston's had a team in the AFC championship game since the 79 Oilers. Yeah, no, John, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I, I think, unlike Deshaun, CJ has a better head coach, I think, and a real general manager putting things together. You know what I mean? Like Deshaun was. Well, you didn't think Easterby was any good when he was assistant interim GM? No, I no, I, I went back. You got Josh McCown. I went back through his moves, John, and I just, you know, I, you're right. I wanted to give it a chance, and I went back through his moves, <laughs> and it turns out he sucked. You want to give it a fat chance? God. All right, uh, Charles emails into the mailbag. Outside of his contract, do you think Watson regrets being on the opposite side of the Texans? What do you think was going through Deshaun's head while that game was going on on Saturday, John? He, people want to say uh, he's happy that Flacco uh, looked bad. Well, Flacco wasn't coming back under any circumstances. And he's probably thinking, man, I remember when it was like that in 2019 and we beat Buffalo and everybody was so – Fired up, but I still got two hundred thirty million guaranteed. That's kind of what Charles is saying. Yeah, like outside of yeah, he's he's got his money for sure. I although I do wonder, like, okay, like, it, congrats, you got you were making thirty nine. Now you're making forty six. You weren't not going to get your money from the previous contract. Like, what's the number where, like, what's the number where where it's okay for you to kind of have lost your professional dignity somewhere along the way. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, that's kind of what it is. Like, if you just stuck around and kind of let the thing fix itself, I don't know. Um, I'm, I, just, I just know I'm glad it's played out the way it has, John, for sure. Oh, yeah. Um, Charles also asked, where would you rank the playoff victory on Saturday compared to the other playoff games? I know you like questions like this, John. Where would you – Texans won four other playoff games before this one. Where would you – where would you stack rank this? I think the only one we can have a conversation about with this one is the very first one with the J.J. Right. Watt pick six. I think this would be number two to that one because it was the first in history, and the Watt phenomenon was born. We didn't think anything special about J.J. up to that point, and it was uh, fans were so hungry because it was the first division title. Anytime it's the first, it's big, but, boy, this one was right up there. But um, – Cincinnati was favored, just like uh, the uh, uh, who they just beat. My mind's gone. Cleveland. Cleveland. Cleveland was favored, so I think the first one. And if they win this one to go to the AFC Championship game, or whenever they do go to the AFC Championship game, that will become the biggest in team history. Yeah, we'll talk more about this game coming up on uh, Saturday in our Thursday episode because I want to go through that with you, like where we feel. We won't do it now. We'll do it in that episode. It probably fits a little better. But, like, where do we feel like this particular Texans team, how well-equipped are they to pull off the upset compared to the previous, you know, the four predecessors that have been this far? Um, we can talk about that more later this week. Um, Good. So just a, a tease, I guess, for the audience out there, John, because I know a lot of people are wondering just, man, what just what exactly are their chances? This nine-and-a-half-point spread is right in line with where it's been going into this round for all of those other Texans teams other than the Brock Osweiler one where it was a 16-point spread going up to New England. Um, all the other ones have been between 8 and 10 somewhere. So the Texans are right in that, at least spread-wise, in that meaty part of the curve. But this team feels a little different than some of those. We'll talk about that on Thursday. A few more here, John, in the uh, mailbag. 
John Burnett says, Brevin, Jordan, and John Mechie both had their best games this year in the previous game. Can we start to expect more out of these two? Um, and I'm assuming he means for the Ravens game coming up on Saturday. Yeah, well, Brevin had one catch, and it was a great run. Wasn't a yeah. great catch, wasn't a great throw. It was a great run. Xavier Hutchinson, Xavier Hutchinson had a great block to clear him on the sideline. He made a great cut, and then he just outran everybody. Mm-hmm. Now, he's not a tight end. He's more like a big receiver or an H-back, and he he was tremendous. And yeah. I think that would have been his fourth touchdown catch this year. Mm-hmm. Now, Mechie, that was his best game. You know, we've talked about that he has not produced the way he should, and that gave us just a glimpse of what to expect from John Mechie the third next season when he is uh, he's finished uh, overcoming his torn ACL and his battle with leukemia. That's yeah. why Nick Casario traded into the second round to get him. Well, they're going to need him. No, Noah Brown, John Mechie, John Mechie and Xavier Hutchinson are going to get those snaps now. So yeah, Robert Woods Mechie. will be gone. That's why I think wide receiver will still be a priority in like the second or third round. It'll be Tank, and then it'll be Collins, and then a new receiver. Yep. Uh, Mario, well, I'm going to save Mario. Mario is asking a question about how we think things are going to play out against the Ravens. Let's save that for Thursday this week. Sorry, Mario. Um, Ryan from the Suge, John. Ryan from the Suge is back. The Suge being Sugarland, I assume. Um, listen to Payne and Pendergast this morning. Sean, you said, quote, the stadium was the loudest I can remember since 2011. Yes, I said that about Saturday's game. What other seasons were like this, excluding 2019 because it's recent memory, and how do they compare? So this is such an exciting season and feels like it restores some respect to the franchise. Can you compare this season to any other season you've covered this team? Only, two, only 2011, not 12, because they had home field advantage. All they had to do is win one game. They blew it, yep. and they went in to the playoffs. And even though they beat Cincinnati, nobody thought anything special about the team. The 11 team was special because of Yates and because it was the first. And 19 was, you know, when they beat Buffalo here, and then they go to Phil, they go to Kansas City and have that 24-0 lead. Okay, they choked it. But then when O'Brien traded Hopkins, every the negativity toward the organization just uh, was so enhanced that nobody was happy with anything that happened after that because of all the negativity off the field. And so uh, this one, and I've t- been telling people this, I have a, several former Oilers have been texting me about the Texans, asking me questions like they don't say they haven't kept up, but they're interested in knowing things about them. And I think that's a good sign. And Mm. one of them said, I see signs of this team, uh, uh, things happening to this team and the way people feel about them in the community, the way they did when we were the Love You Blue Oilers, which I thought was very interesting. Very interesting. I wasn't here for that, John. You were, but I know how beloved those Oilers teams were. Um, through stories from you and others at that time. Um, do you think that we can, much to Amy Adams' trunk chagrin, do you think we can steal all those old Oilers and now they are aligned with Houston Texans <laughs> exclusively and want nothing to do with the zombie Oilers up in Nashville? What do you think? we Can we pull that off, John? I don't think – I think you're not going to pull it off with a lot of them because she has reunions up there every year and treats them like – Well, they wouldn't be allowed to go, John. They can't and go to the reunion. If you can't let them go, the one that's the most – 
uh, best possibilities, Bruce Matthews. Mm-hmm. Bruce was sitting right in front of Janice McNair, he and his wife, yes. Terry. Because I went in to see Janice and talked to her before the game. They shot a picture of us, and I tweeted it while I was talking to her. And as like I tweeted during the game, when it was third quarter and they had a big lead, I bet Buffalo's run through Bruce's mind a time or two. Yeah. And uh, But uh, Bruce, who has said in an interview I did with him before he was inducted into the Gridiron Legends, uh, that he said he thinks Columbia Blue should be in Houston and not Nashville. And that's not a popular thing with the Titans organization. Mm. Good. I'm glad he When the team was moving, Bruce was the most outspoken player about not wanting to go. Yeah. And uh, he also, I remember one time I did an interview with him. He said, if Buzz that desperate, I'll, I'll, I'll give him a couple of grand to help him out. <laughs> Bruce rubbing a couple quarters together. Here you go, yeah. bud. Here. Um, one time it started the 93 seasons when the cal- salary cap was being implemented. Nobody knew what it was. The mm-hmm. GM Floyd Reese was new. He didn't have a clue. But they were a talented team coming off three consecutive playoff appearances and uh bud came to spring training in san angelo or this case san antonio for his annual state of the oilers address and he stood in front of the players and he told them you better win this year because something called salary caps coming and you guys make too much money we're not going to be able to keep you together and players started throwing one dollar bills at him like he's a dancer like a stripper i love it like a whore uh, all right. Um, last one, John. This is from our guy Joe Q, who I, I may say so. Joe Q, I don't know what you do for a, an actual job for employment, but if you ever want job as either like a research analyst or uh, like in uh, you know uh, some sort of producer for this podcast and the radio show, John, look at all this research this guy did. That's impressive, right here. He's got a Very chart impressive. and everything. All for this question, John. And the question's for you. He said, "There's a question for John. Can you recall a time?" ever in the past when an NFL head coach had two former teammates on his roster. D'Amico Ryans played with John Weeks and Kareem Jackson. He says, I don't know the answer, but it seems highly improbable. And he goes on to list all the things that would have to be true in order for that to happen. You know, like how few coaches are actually former players to begin with, you know, to even have teammates, um, you know, to how young the coach would have to be in order for the, to have teammates that are still playing and so forth. Um, can you ever recall, John, a, a player or a coach, I should say, having multiple former teammates on his roster? No, but I haven't thought about it. The younger yeah. coaches are getting younger now. A guy like Sean McVay, if he played in the NFL, he's going to run into a lot of players he used to play with because he's like 30 when he got the job, but he didn't. And so you look around at some that are in their 30s, but I, if, it's, if it's not unprecedented, it is extremely rare. And uh, John Weeks actually played with him for two years, Kareem uh, two or three two years, years, two, two years. years. Yep. And uh, they were there for the last game of D'Amico's career, a playoff loss in Baltimore. In Baltimore, yeah, absolutely. Hey, John, real quick before we uh, before we duck out, did you see? I know you saw this the 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 video, the footage of JJ on the field with D'Amico at the end of JJ's last game that surfaced this past week. Oh yeah, where, where he told D'Amico, "Go make Houston great again." Um, this was before the job. This is before Lovey had even been fired. You know, like Lovey was still, it was the day <laughs> Lovey got fired like 10 hours later. Um, but, but that was that day. Uh, do you think there was just a major assumption that D'Amico was going to be the head coach of this football team at that point in the process? 
I think JJ was just guessing because they interviewed a lot of really good candidates. Yeah. Johnson, Shane Steichen, Evero, the defensive coordinator at the time of the Broncos. But that's like I I told him before the first before the preseason game here, that was an Amazon game. I went over and told him I want to be the first one, congratulate him on being a head coach. And he thought I was crazy, but I I knew that after he came back for one more year. He was going to be a head coach, and I just said here. But I didn't yeah. think there was any way Lovey Smith was going to Pep Hamilton. He's going to put it, Pep Hamilton in charge of the offense, and it's going to be the worst ever. And so I had no idea Lovey'd be fired. I thought he'd make two or three seasons, and Nico would be somewhere like Denver. Thank God they fired him and hired Demico. Oh, oh my God, goodness! Thank don't you God. know in Denver they don't? Well, I'll say they. The media doesn't like Sean Payton. He's always been really hard to deal with. But when they see how popular D'Amico is here, and he would be popular in other cities, but not as popular here because he was so beloved and respected as a player. If I, two cities, John, if I were in Denver and I was watching D'Amico Ryans coach the Texans with Sean Payton in Denver, and I and and it may still turn out fine. If they win a Super Bowl, then everybody who cares how big a an asshole Sean Payton is. Um, but for now, if I was in Denver watching D'Amico or Carolina watching C.J. Stroud, I would quit watching football. Ooh. I would take up some. I'd start watching tennis or something. I'd take take up some other sport or cocaine or what was something <laughs> like meth. I don't like alcohol. Will do alcohol, whatever. Just something. Yeah, I'd be drinking heavily, especially Carolina. I think Peyton may end up getting it turned around in Denver. I don't know what's going to happen with Bryce Young, and I do know C.J. Stroud is going to be around for a while. Well, that would thing, be that would be tough. The thing about Carolina, I think D'Amico would have been too smart to go there because he would have had multiple offers. They were the first team. He All of them wanted him, and he ruled them out immediately. And I'm yeah. guessing it's because – Tepper's reputation and Jimmy Sexton and his agent and Jimmy's really good. Probably yeah. would have told him you don't want to go there. Yep. Yep. Does Jimmy Sexton, do we know who represents Bobby Slowick? Uh, Jimmy Sexton. They I have the same Sexton. agent. Okay. Okay. I think they're all, I think Sexton does all of them now. Does he? Except Sean Payton. Okay. So yeah, Sexton is the, Sexton is the, he's the guy for coaches that Bob yes, Lamonte is. is the guy for front office people. Right? Bob still has a lot of, Bob has a lot of coaches that, but uh, some of them have retired, but yeah. But Bob's he, got Casario uh, and Easterby. Bob's got Casario yeah. and he's got Jack Easterby. Yeah. Easterby, who the biggest, the hottest free agent out there <laughs> in front office. Must have been a favor to Casario. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, and I guess player-wise, probably David Mulligetta these days. <laughs> Seems like Mulligetta Lamont has been around forever. Yeah. And uh, he doesn't take them on immediately like he used to. You know, at one point, he, he still got Andy Reid. He had Holmgren. All those Packer coaches that he had Holmgren because uh, Holmgren was, had been at his high school. And so that Holmgren tree, they all went to Bob Lamont, and he did a great job. And he started picking up the front office guys. But Saxton is a big agent when it comes to the coaches. And he's not like, say, Scott Boris, who's just going to mm -hmm. go where the money is. He wants his people to be happy and go to the right spot, like D'Amico coming to the Texans. All right, John, uh, we got a few more days till we get Ravens-Texans. We'll preview that game on Thursday this week in our Thursday episode. Um, what do you got going on on the website? I know you got a busy week because you're presenting Andre Johnson again. For, is this the week you present Andre for the Hall of Fame? 
Yeah, that's Wednesday. I was supposed to go to Atlanta for two days, and thank God they canceled it. And we're doing a Zoom like we did in the last few years. And uh, see, I'm doing that, so I'm not writing Wednesday. I'm writing a column. I have a column, two columns up right now on the Texans, and I'm going to have another one today. And then I'll probably have another one on Thursday and five things to watch in the game on Friday, as well as three Utopia football podcasts. Yes, absolutely. John, do you feel like I would feel like I would want to be in the same room with my audience because I feel like I would connect with them a little more and being try to be persuasive and whatnot. Do you care that it's Zoom versus being in the same like proximity as the people you're talking to? For my first 27 years, we we went to the Super Bowl city and then it got complicated because the NFL Network and the Honors Show yeah. and knocking on doors and telling them they're in. Yeah. So they wanted to do it earlier, which is fine. And going back to the pandemic, we've done it on Zoom and I, it doesn't matter to me. Yeah, and They want it in person. I, I've always stood up and uh, I, I always use this example because I love the TV show Law and Order. Mm-hmm. And I always st- I stand up and act like uh, Sam Waterston does on uh, Law and Order <laughs> when he's making his closing argument to mm-hmm. the jury, looking them in the eye and everything. That's what I've always done. Well, I can't do that on Zoom. I can, but I'm too busy looking down at my and my quotes and my stats and everything. So hopefully, hopefully, everybody should keep their fingers crossed. I'm afraid it's going to be another logjam that won't be broken with Andre, mm-hmm. Reggie Wayne, and Tori Holt. But I'm giving it everything I got. John, it sounds like if uh, if Andre's not going to get in, then Texan fans actually should be rooting for one or both of Wayne and Holt to get in. I'd right? take I mean, any of them. Just like, start, it's, like, it's like having a clog in your sink, right? You know, it's... They're the clog right now. <laughs> I even suggested that nobody wants to do this, that in the order in which they've been finalists the most, that would be mm-hmm. Hall first, Wayne second, Andre third. If they just Next break years. the log jam, that would be yeah. fine with me, but we're not going to do that because we don't make deals like that. So Andre's going to be competing against them for till we break the log jam. Hopefully it will be this year. Well, you need some more nefarious people on that committee who are going to make side deals, John. That's my suggestion to you. I've never had um, anybody even approach me saying, if you vote for my guy, I'll vote for your guy in 30 years. That's never happened, huh? Never. That's good. I like hearing that, actually. I, I like people all the time say, oh, I know how they operate on that committee. Nobody's got a clue unless you've ever been in the room. Mm. <laughs> Excuse me. I don't know why I... I didn't want you to get choked yeah, up. Yeah, I got that. choked up there over uh, over Andre Johnson. If Andre uh, gets in this year, I'll get choked up. But, um, boy, I'm not um, – I don't mean going being negative. I have changed up my presentation. A lot of people talk positively about him. After I talk, anybody can talk about any client. It's two or three others I'll say something about as well. But uh, I sure hope this is the year. You should just add like a couple like hot chicks standing behind you doing the presentation so people feel a certain kind of Yeah, then of way. they're not going to listen to me at all. A couple Hooters girls, but when they think of Andre Johnson, John, they're going to be like, God, I don't know why, but when I hear Andre Johnson's name, it just makes me feel good. Uh, I, I don't know. It, it, if it starts, if it keeps going more years, you may have to start adding some some flair to the presentation, a little sizzle, you know? I'll do it. I'm doing everything I can. I know you I are. I've got my game plan ready to go. Good deal. I can't wait to hear how it turns out. Um, John, I enjoyed it as always. Good luck on the presentations. Thank you, Sean. All right. Good stuff. Uh, big thanks to James Jackson, our producer, getting the podcast out to you quickly. 
This is going to be fun. Saturday, Ravens, Texans. We've got a preview episode coming up later this week. Click the subscribe button uh, wherever it is you listen to this podcast. That way you don't have to go find it. It'll find you, and you can listen to it. And this is the time, man. Texans are one of the last eight teams standing, trying to be one of the last four teams standing as a big dog in Baltimore on Saturday. So for James and John, I'm Sean. We're out of time. We will see all of you later this week. Thank you for tuning in to the Utopia Football Podcast.